The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, who will join us shortly. Karen Feinerman and Bono and Eisen tonight on Fast. The headline that shocked the market, stocks taking a leg lower this afternoon on reports that President Biden is planning a major hike to the capital gains tax. We'll get instant reaction from Wall Street's biggest bull, J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovich. He'll join us exclusively. Plus, Skyworks Solution popping in the after hours on some deal news. The full details and how our traders are playing this name. And later, Mad Skills, why this mobile gaming company could be the new target in the Reddit rebellion. We'll break down what is driving this action. But we start off with an earnings alert on Intel shares are falling in the after hours session. The company's call is just getting underway. Josh Lipton's got all the details. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, heading into this print, remember, this stock was up about 25 percent so far this year. And analysts will say a big part of that. High hopes, they say, for new CEO Pat Gelsinger. But the stock lower here in the after hours. Turning to the report, beats on the bottom and the top. For guidance, though, Q2, they say they're looking for a buck oh five on the bottom line. Uh, the street was closer to $1.09, though the revenue guidance of $17.8 billion. The street was closer to $17.6 billion. They did raise uh, their 2021 guidance as well. Turning to the segments, CC business, so chips for PCs, $10.6 billion. Street was closer to $10.2 billion. But the DCG business, so chips for the data center, $5.6 billion. And also been looking for closer to $5.8 billion there. I did check in with Chris Rowland over at Susquehanna. There was upside for Q1, he says, but that Q2 guidance is either conservative, he says, or suggests a slowdown in the business. The data center business, he said, did disappoint versus expectations. That segment is the one that investors value the most, those higher margin server chips. On the call, Chris told me he wants to hear more details about Pat, Pat Gelsinger's new strategy, his outlook for the back half of the year. Chris does have a neutral rating on t- Intel. Gelsinger has his work cut out for him, he says. For much more Pat Gelsinger, you want to listen to tonight to Mad Money. Jim Cramer will be interviewing the new Intel CEO, so tune in for that one. Melissa, back to you. That will be a must-see. Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton, who will keep us posted on the conference call, by the way. Um, Guy Dami, how do you trade this one? You heard the comment given to Josh by Chris Rowland. Stacey Raskin of Bernstein also was on Closing Bell earlier, and he said that he, he thought that it sounded like effectively Intel was guiding down for the second half, although he'll want some more color on this. So a slowdown potentially starting in, the, in Q2 with a potential guide down in the second half embedded in the guidance that they've given. I know. I, I, I can tell you, if you'd started with Karen, that's what she would have said. If you look, I mean, a big beat in the first <laughs> quarter, I think a 24-cent beat, but she didn't have the commensurate guide for the year, right? They only raised their guidance by five cents. So the street is saying, wait a second, um, what are they seeing in the back half of the year that they obviously are not seeing right now? I mean, the quarter was very good. You take this quarter in a vacuum, I think it's a very good quarter. I mean, operating margins are down year over year, but at 32%, better than the 30% the street was looking for. People will look and say, you know what, 13 and a half times, it's not expensive. The stock has sold off from that previous all-time high last January that we flagged early in April at 68 and a half. And at this 61 level, it makes a lot of sense. The concern is going to be the guide and the re- and why didn't they guide commensurate to the beat they just saw. That would be my first question to the extent that I would be allowed to ask a question. 
You just asked the question. Um, but, but Karen, in terms of what you, you know, I, I go to you because we often say that a CEO's first foray on an earnings call, you take the guidance down explicitly. Gelsinger did not do that. He didn't do that in the update when he unveiled a $20 billion uh, plan to build two new plants in Arizona. He didn't really do it tonight either, although some analysts are drawing that conclusion. It was actually pretty soft in terms of if you thought he was going to take this opportunity to, to throw out the kitchen sink, he didn't really take it yet. He didn't take it yet, but we don't know if this is conservative. This is a little bit of sandbagging, if we just switch metaphors from kitchen sinking it to sandbagging it, which is light guidance. And I understand anybody in this environment wanting to be conservative about guidance or not wanting to give guidance at all. I always give management a free pass for this year, and I think companies should do that in general, not have to give guidance. But you know, it wasn't all in all, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad quarter in that here's a stock that trades that, you know, Guy just talked about how low the multiple is. It's not like it's super frothy here. We all know there's a, a lot of competitive headwinds. Wasn't, you know, data center, of course, that's disappointing. But I'm kind of on the camp that maybe they're sandbagging just a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, they could be. Certainly they could be. But data center's data center, and on a volume basis, it was down. On a revenue basis, it missed. Bono, what would you make of the quarter overall in the guidance? Well, I think the other two panelists made good points about the guidance, right? But it's, it's, it's new leadership, and we want to really allow there to be an adjustment for what type of cadence and guidance and the way that he kind of wants to maneuver there. So I'm willing to kind of give a mulligan there. When I drill down and I look at the gross margins and the data center of revenue, right, those two things were kind of uh, points of concern for me, particularly when you overlay that with the fact that they have made a commitment to $20 billion in CapEx, right? So you've got to have operations that adequately fund that new commitment to manufacturing and, and, and pushing forward and, and kind of rolling out this new strategic plan. So those two things were somewhat of sore spots uh, for me. Keep in mind that this stock has really made, uh, as Guy says, this textbook up until the right move from 45 back towards that $70 level. So like a lot of the other names that we're seeing, there is a bit of sell the news. But again, those two spots would be where my focus is. And I guess that's, that's the real question here. And that is, is the 23% run year to date reflecting already all the good news that Pat Gelsinger can, can bring for this stock and for investors to this point, um, and maybe even giving him a little bit benefit of the doubt in terms of execution, Tim. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, again, I think there's a lot more upside in Intel, and whether this is uh, kitchen bagging or sand sinking, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I actually, maybe I saw different numbers than everybody. I, I, I thought that the, the commentary wasn't terrible. Um, I think that the current bar is very, very high. They obviously went out of their way to say this was an extraordinary time. It's a record time for notebooks, up uh, 38% on PCs. Um, I also thought I saw, you know, recovery in, in, in enterprise and government spending. And so, you know, why, why go out there and say what you think is going to happen in the second half of the year? This gets into our tea leaf reading, uh, you know, fortune telling, you know, whatever we think uh, the, the, the real message is. I don't, I'm not sure I care. So I think this is your mm. question, Mel. I'm not sure I care. This story was released in January. And that's, uh, we got a pre-release of these numbers. They were a little bit better. We don't know what the second half of the year is. We know this company is back on track. We know they're back committed to innovation. They're, they're spending $20 billion. We know what's going on with Foundry. We know the arms race they're creating probably with TSM and Samsung to kind of keep market share. I mean, I, this to me is maybe the most important ship company in the world right now. And, and I think it's priced for investors. Uh, it's not awful. Let's put it that way. I think that's a good point that Tim makes. You are invested in Intel at this point, probably not for this quarter, 
probably not for the second quarter, but probably for quarters and quarters out, maybe years out at this point. And the key question here is, can Intel execute on the grand plan they unveiled just a matter of weeks ago? And a big part of that is, can they, in fact, as Tim had mentioned, compete with Taiwan Semi, which just last week raised their capital spending uh, forecast by $30 billion. This is an arms race, Guy. And can Intel compete? Yeah, I think they can. I I absolutely think they can. I mean, we heard his vision uh, a month or so ago, you know, three or four weeks or so ago. I'm with Tim. Listen, the qu- I will t- in my opinion, if they had just reported the quarter and said nothing about full-year guidance, um, you, you know, people saying, why aren't they guiding notwithstanding? It's a $65 stock just based off the quarter. I think my concern and the reason why the stock is lower is because, again, the full-year guide doesn't line up with how much they beat here in the first quarter. With that said, I do think you can make that bet. And, oh, by the way, they probably have the heft of the U.S. government behind them in some way as well. So at 13 and a half times earnings, I don't think you're taking that much risk to make the bet that you just outlined. That would be a big plus for the stock. If for some reason, if on the conference call, Gelsinger actually talked about taking government money uh, potentially to help fund these plants in Arizona, which they didn't mention when they first announced these plans. Karen, what do you want to hear on the on the conference call? Uh, I guess I want to hear that would be one thing that would be of interest, of course. But it's like you you just said just a very short while ago about it's not about this quarter and next quarter. It's about, you know, how is this arms race going to shake out? Remember, a lot of people are looking for arms. Right. So um, I think there's some room there for for not not just, you know, one winner. But I think that at 13 and a half times, he's got a little bit of room to. He's got a little bit of room to take time to spend money, which he obviously said he would do, which hopefully he's a good steward of capital, which I believe he will be. Um, and I'm just going to sit back and watch. I don't own it now, but at this level, I mean, in the value spectrum, it's definitely on the value side of the space. All right. Uh, the conference calls 10 minutes in. We'll keep you posted on any developments. The stock is down 1.6 percent right now. Shares of Skyworks, meantime, popping out a $2.75 billion deal to acquire the infrastructure and automotive business of Silicon Labs. Silicon Labs soaring on this news. Remember, Skyworks Solution, known as an Apple supplier, RF chips is what they do for mobile devices. Uh, Bonwin, what do you what do you make of this deal in the chip space? Uh, net net, I think it's a positive. I think the market is kind of indicating you, indicating that to you. I think they're paying about uh, 2.7 times cash on balance sheet, right? So it doesn't seem like an exorbitant expenditure from from their cash position. Uh, I, if I had to pick pick uh, you know something to kind of knock them on, I would say, listen, what I've seen, uh, what we've seen in some of these tech names is the ability to use their shares as currencies to acquire other businesses or portions of that business. And I think if they would have been able to maneuver that, that would have made this an entirely grand slam, an entire grand slam. Yeah, this is cash and debt to fund this deal. From the slab perspective, and we haven't talked about slab in a, I can't even remember when, Guy, um, but they say they're going to distribute about $2 billion of the 2.3 or so net proceeds to shareholders. That's a huge bonus for shareholders of Slab. I mean, I wish I was involved in that. I mean, you wouldn't (laughs) see me here tonight, Mel, if that was me. No, I'm kidding. In terms of Skyworks, real quick, you know, you have to say to yourself, ahead of earnings, I think on the 29th, I mean, they have to be feeling pretty good about things for them to make a deal, I think, of this magnitude. So we're about to take out the all-time high we made back in February. I think it was 195. It's not all that expensive a stock on valuation. 
I think despite the move to the upside, and I'm usually one to say fade this, I think you stay with it. I think the stock continues to rally into earnings towards the end of the month. You think this is the start of more consolidation or maybe continuation of more consolidation in the semi-space, Tim? Well, I think it's around strategic pockets. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you talked about the references to where, you know, effectively these, these companies live and, you know, the, automotive, the automotive space and some of the synergies and some of the strategics that might actually be looking around here. And the question really is, is, is do some of these companies become more vertical and bring this stuff in-house? I, you know, that's always a debate. But yes, um, look, uh, the moves the stocks have had also um, means that there certainly are folks that are going to use their currency, their stock as currency, and it's very accretive to their shareholders, even if they're overpaying for, for a deal because their stock might be you know, that much more expensive than, than their targets. So, yes, I think we are seeing that. All right, coming up, a tax takedown. Stocks tumbling on reports that President Biden is looking to raise a capital gains tax in a very big way. We'll get instant reaction from Wall Street's biggest poll. J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic joins us ahead. But first, we've got an earnings alert on Snap. Shares are jumping the after hours of the company's call. Now underway, we'll bring you the trade on the social stock when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got another earnings alert for you. This time on Snap, shares are jumping 5% after hours. Julia Borson's been listening in on this call. Julia. Well, Snap beating expectations pretty much across the board for the first time since the company went public and had positive free cash flow. It reported net income break even rather than a six cent per share loss. It also reported its fastest revenue growth in three years, 66% growth in revenue in the quarter and Daily active users added four and a half million more 
than anticipated, a total of 15 million added in the quarter. That's also the highest user growth in over three years. Now, the midpoint of Snap's second quarter guidance range is above analyst consensus as well. Now, this growth seems to reflect the company's investment in content with the spotlight section, which features users' posts, seeing a spike in engagement over 125 million Snapchatters used Spotlight in the quarter, and augmented reality saw a 40% increase in the number of Snapchatters engaging daily with AR lenses as AR becomes a valuable tool for e-commerce. Uh, he, uh, Evan Spiegel saying that they see e-commerce advertisers really starting to engage um, with uh, these augmented reality tools, and it makes it easier for people to both buy things and return them. Now, Snapchat also saying that it's benefiting from the reopening, saying that as things begin to open up in the U.S. in late February, they saw inflection points in key behaviors, such as story posting and engagement with the Snap Map, which is a tool they've been investing in. Now, one thing, Melissa, I just want to note, since we've been talking so much about Apple and the operating system changes, they said that they are going to be watching um, some of the changes, but they really believe that their philosophy and early investments in privacy means that they are going to be working with advertising partners to innovate as they deal with some of those changes. Melissa. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson with the latest on Snap, which again is up 5%. So yesterday we started the show, um, Tim, I'll go to you on this, with the idea that maybe yeah. Netflix showed us that there was massive pull forward uh, because of the pandemic. What is Snap telling us at this point? You know, the, almost on some level, the opposite, mm-hmm. that I think their business is just starting to take off. I mean, it, it, you know, we talk about we just talked about to the extent that uh, executives don't necessarily need to give a rosy outlook sometimes. I mean, the, you know, ultimately, the the rate of growth that they have seen over the last couple of quarters is not sustainable. And yet um, I think the bar has been set reasonably high. And I think the belief is uh, that their user base continues to grow. They you know, they, they are saying second quarter DAU should be somewhere around 290 million, growing 22 percent. So, um, look, I, I think in a world where, you know, the digital advertising world is, uh, you know, where we are and there are a handful of leaders, Snap has proven to be a leader and a growing leader. And for investors, uh, the scarcity of, of real access in the social space, having opportunities outside of Facebook is why this stock was, you know, it, it was a $16 stock leaving the month mm-hmm. of June last year. And we know where it is now. It's not cheap at all. Uh, and it was interesting how it sold off at first uh, and now is up substantially after these numbers. Yeah. Opportunities out of Facebook. And yet, Karen, this is still good news for Facebook, I would imagine. Right. I think it's good news for Facebook. I think it's good news for Google. I think obviously it's good news for Snap. It's interesting that it was down at first. I mean, maybe just because, as Tim said, this stock has run so much. But I mean, those are really, really uh, I mean, impressive numbers, the rate of acceleration, you know, so many years later. Good for them. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'm long Facebook, I'm long Google. I think the read through is positive for them as well. And like you brought up, you know, Netflix, is this a pull forward where Netflix was a, you know, a pandemic, more of a stay at home trade? You could look at, at Snap as an advertising trade where reopening is going to be better, better for Facebook, better for Google, especially with travel. There was some commentary um, that, I, and I'm just paraphrasing at this point, that sometime in February there was an inflection point in terms of people sharing stories, getting out, sharing experiences. Because you know what? Now there's more to talk about than what kind of sandwich you had for lunch in your one-bedroom apartment. I mean, I'm just <laughs> saying, Bonwin, that, that you know, the reopening <laughs> is actually a very good thing for Snap, too, from that perspective. 
Yes, yeah, seemingly so. And um, uh, the other panelists pointed out, but I was scratching my head when I first saw the trading action uh, post-market. I, 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 that was what really confused me. But for me, this is a situation where it doesn't have to be put exclusively in one bucket or the other. They've been able to kind of um, you know, show themselves as having staying power in a pandemic situation. And now something that's been a, a stalwart, a, bear, a bellwether in that situation, being able to show acceleration in a reopening environment, I, I think that really is a recipe um, for profitability and, and upside. Guy, please button this block up before we uh, go to commercial break. Snap, Twitter, or Facebook? I think it's a uh, snap. I think it's a well. Look, Facebook's going to going to it's going to going to score into their earnings. It's going to continue to go higher, I think. But Snap, I think people are shocked by how quickly they've gotten to where they are. Tim will tell you ARPU's. I'll let Tim sort of fill in the blank there. Yes. Better than the street was expecting. Oh, by mm-hmm. the way, in free cash flow came in at 126 million dollars. I mean, they blew away the numbers that the street was looking for. And dare I say, pathway to profitability. I think they're on it a lot quicker than people thought. Karen's right. The stock has bounced significantly, but it's also significantly lower than that 73 and a half level we saw back in February. So I think the stock can continue to go higher um, in, for the foreseeable future. ARPU, average revenue per user. April is Financial Literacy Thank Month. You. Coming up, the tax headline that shocked the market. A big report out of Washington sending stocks tumbling today. We'll get instant reaction from Wall Street's biggest bull, Marco Kalanovich. He will join us next and later. The best bets in the crypto craze. If you're looking for the next big breakout, you might want to look beyond Bitcoin. Pantera Capital's Dan Moorhead will tell us why. We've got all that and much more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story out of the White House. Stocks taking a turn lower this afternoon on reports that President Biden is considering nearly doubling the capital gains tax on the highest earners. The S&P 500, which had clawed its way into positive territory, plunging immediately on the headline, ending the day down nearly a percent. Let's get to Elon Moy live in Washington with some of the details there. Elon. Well, Melissa, President Biden promised to raise taxes on the rich on the campaign trail, and now he appears ready to make good on that pledge. Bloomberg reported today that the White House intends to follow through on raising the top individual tax rate to 39.6 percent. It would then tax capital gains at that same rate for households making more than a million dollars. Now, already that would almost double the capital gains rate from its current level of 20 percent. But in addition, Bloomberg reported that the White House would leave in place an existing additional tax of 3.8 percent on investment income that Biden helped put in place as vice president to pay for the Affordable Care Act. Now, all of this comes as the president is expected to roll out phase two of his infrastructure plan next week, focused on human capital. I can't get ahead. I'm not going to get ahead of him making final decisions, uh, but the package will be laid out in the speech next week. It will focus on the areas that we've outlined, child care, education, historic investments in those. And as he did with the uh, American Jobs Plan, he will also propose a way to pay for it. Now, just to give you a sense of how much is at stake here, 
One estimate of the 3.8% tax projected it cost investors $212 billion over nearly a decade. Another analysis estimates that raising the top income tax rate would bring in $112 billion. And then tax and cap gains as ordinary income would be another $373 billion. So bottom line, Melissa, the administration here is looking at what dials it can turn to offset the cost of its proposal. Back to you. What's the likelihood that anything like this could pass, Elon? Well, there is certainly strong support amongst Democrats for raising that top rate on high income earners and then taxing capital gains as ordinary income. The net investment income tax at 3.8 percent tax, that is one that Democrats supported when Obamacare was put into place. So it's hard to see them getting behind getting rid of that tax. Mm -hmm. So I think there is support for the broad idea. The question will be how Biden packages this all together. We are still months away from seeing any type of legislation formally move through Capitol Hill here. So there's still a lot that could change. Sure. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy, um, let's get more on the potential market implications from Marco Kalanovich, the chief global market strategist at J.P. Morgan. Marco, great to have you with us tonight. Um, we certainly saw the markets react to this. For New York City, for the top earners in New York City, and I know this, that's a very maybe parochial way of looking at it, but just to give you an example of how hard this could hit, um, the combined marginal tax rate on capital gains could total 58.2% in New York City for the top earners. Do you think this could have an impact on the markets? So it could have an impact, you know, but I think it's a, a bit too early to say, you know, first we need to see um, uh, sort of uh, what is the proposal, you know, then there are also details, you know, what is the level, uh, when is it applied, is it this year, is it next year, it has some implications on the flow, and then finally we need to see uh, whether it passes, you know, so, so I think it's a little bit too early to, to sign, uh, conclude, um, but clearly market today had a, a negative reaction. Yeah, anything past this, let, let's just... Play this game with me, Marco. Humor me for, for two minutes. But let's say something has passed this year and they say it's going to be effective, you know, the day it pa you know, uh, two months after it passes. In terms of impacting the flow, you expect selling in advance of the passage of, of the cap gains tax raised. So if it's, if it's applied for the next year, you know, and, and, and mm -hmm. investors can take advantage, then it would apply probably selling of winners. Uh, so there will be probably some rotation out of momentum um, and, and perhaps um, uh, some of the sectors like growth and, and, and momentum market segments. So anything that went up a lot over the last, last few years, but that, that's, that's purely hypothetical, right? Sure. Again, we, we really don't know any of these details now. Yeah. Okay, let's put that aside from now, Marco, and, and get your view on the markets because you actually think that earnings season is going to prove um, and, and give the fuel for another leg higher, particularly in the value and the cyclical names. And I I know that you're not a specific um, stock picker, but, you know, I look at Whirlpool's earnings yesterday and, and they were very good. The outlook was very good. It was a company that even though it's facing pricing pressures, it has um, power to pass these increases along to consumers. Everything was great. Today, it's traded sort of eh on the back of that. So why do you think earnings season is going to give the markets fuel for another leg higher? So, so it's, it's actually less, less really of an earnings season. I think it's going to coincide with the earnings season, but our thesis is really that, um, that the COVID in the U.S. is going to start declining very soon for, for two reasons. We have already some natural immunity and immunization is going pretty well. So we think it's not yet reflected in the numbers, and we think that's going to happen very soon, sort of in the next maybe one or two weeks. Uh, so it's going to coincide with the earnings, but earnings are also going to be, going to be decent. You know? So we, we think that basically both positive earnings – as well as improvement in COVID situation in the U.S., which we expect them to see later on in Europe as well, will basically um, 
drive some rotation from sort of defensives into cyclicals, you know, from growth into value. And we also think that's going to coincide with the bond yields uh, taking higher and sort of um, driving also that rotation. So, so, so decent earnings, improvement of COVID situation in the U.S., uh, bond yields resuming sort of move higher, we think it's going to be positive uh, overall for the risk, and especially for the rotation sort of from growth into value, from defensives into cyclicals. Hey, Marco, thanks for joining us. Bono in here. Um, so reading through your notes, like you've, you've mentioned some of the, the areas that you foresee rotation into. Would you mind shedding a little light into some of the, the choppiness that we've seen in the financial and small caps in the last, I don't know, three weeks or a month? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, so you, you notice that very well, actually. Last sort of three or four weeks, uh, the market actually moved the opposite way. You know, you had the rotation away from cyclicals, away from s- small caps, into more sort of mega caps, um, higher quality names and growth names, you know. So, so that was sort of last three, four weeks. Um, what was driving that? few different reasons. You know, one, we did have some negative news globally on coronavirus, especially around India, uh, Brazil, Turkey. Uh, We also had some uncertainty around Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So that was the one driver. You know, the other driver was bond yields sort of stabilized and actually ticked a bit lower. And equity investors saw the bond yields going lower, and then they basically rotated back, you know, sort of from reopening trade from cyclicals into the quality, into the large cap names, and more, more into the growth. So we think sort of that uh, reversion of reversion now is over, and we, can, we think we will resume sort of back into sort of reopening trade, reflation trade, and we think that yields will uh, continue on their uh, paths higher. Hey, Marco, it's Tim. Right, so I like the energy trade. I like the reflation trade. Um, help me understand the context for where, where yields can go. Um, and also, you know, tell me where the dollar is going to be by the third quarter. And I think I can tell you somewhat how those trades are going to do. So your call on that, please. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, so, look, it's very hard to say where exactly the dollar is going to go, where it's going to be. But we think sort of both the yields go higher and dollar, uh, dollar on the margin goes lower. Um, so where can yields go? Um, you know, we think sort of by the end of the year closer to 200, you know, 195, 200. That's the base case. You know, obviously that can, that can go either way. You know, if we do have a sort of stronger reopening and, and, and stronger inflation, probably can overshoot a little bit if, 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 if the sort of growth a little bit disappoints can be lower. But we think higher from here, you know, so sort of if we are now at 155 or so, we think they're going to start actually marching higher. And we still think that's going to be good for equities broadly. It's going to be and especially good for, for value and cyclicals, you know. So um, we also don't expect that path to go uh, the yields to go too fast, like we saw basically in January or February. The reason for that is, as I mentioned, a little bit of this reopening. You know, reopening starts in the U.S., and then with some delay, call it two months, uh, happens in Europe. You know, so if it, it was basically reopening everywhere at the same time, maybe these yields will overshoot now because we expect a bit this recovery to be staggered starting in U.S., then Europe, and then emerging market, I think that's going to allow yields to actually move uh, at, at, at some slower pace, which is not going to sort of uh, spook the equity market. So that's sort of on the yields. On the dollar, I don't have a very strong conviction. I do generally think with basically uh, a more of a pro-risk reflation, inflation-type uh, trends, the dollar will, will go lower from here. How much? I really don't have a very strong view right now. Marco, it's always great to speak with you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Marco Kalanovich of J.P. Morgan. Guy, your take. 
Well, we started it with this, you know, the headlines we saw that took mm -hmm. the market down. I mean, I, I happen to think I have more chance of playing shortstop for the Yankees tonight than this has getting passed. But you know, the way Glaber Torres is playing, maybe that is far-fetched as it sounds. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's a negotiating chip, and I think that's all it's been and all it will be. There are a hundred reasons to be negative in the market. I don't think this is one of them. I do share Marco's uh, view that rates are going higher. And if you're looking for a level in the DXY, I think it's 88 on the downside, and that's, I think, where we're headed, which all lines up for the resource trade that Tim's talked about. So if you're still looking for something that works, it's the names, the copper names, the aluminum names, and mm -hmm. some of these levered energy names. Karen, what do you think? Well, I, I remember exactly what I was doing when I saw that 43.4% tax headline. <laughs> but I agree that as scary as it is, I think that is the least likely outcome, as Guy just said, maybe even less likely than Guy playing shortstop. So it's interesting to me that, I mean, that, that market reaction was sort of felt like a lot, but it's very fairly muted if that versus what if that actually did happen. I think somewhere away in the middle is much, much, much more likely. And, um, you know, to, to Marco's point, I think we won't see the 10-year run away, even though I do think it will trade higher. But I'm a little bit nervous about if, it, if everyone recovers at the same time all over the world, that might be very difficult for the U.S. 10-year and very difficult for the, pet, for the Fed. That would make me a little nervous. All right. Coming up, calling all AT&T investors share soaring higher today on the back of earnings. We're dialing into this one next. Plus, is the Bitcoin boom Coming to a halt, the cryptocurrency dropping more than 15% in one week. You know, yeah, one week. But one investor says there's more opportunity in the crypto space. Where he is spotting the next big breakout. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. AT&T topping the tape today. Shares rallying more than 4% on the back of an earnings beat this morning. AT&T adding more wireless customers during the quarter than analysts had expected. The company also saying its HBO Max streaming service and HBO cable network added 2.7 million U.S. subscribers in the first quarter. And this really um, what they said in terms of postpaid additions, Tim, was very different from what Verizon said just earlier this week. A huge contrast. Significantly different, significantly better, therefore, on, on those those revenues in that segment. And, and, you know, what does this mean? It means that they can pay down more debt. I mean, their, their cash cow business um, is certainly more profitable than it was. And actually, it's delivering more free cash flow. So the 15 billion that they gave in Investor Day and they guided and it looks better uh, than that forecast now of 15 billion in debt reduction before the end of the year. For, for everyone that I think that has been cynical on AT&T, yes, we know the limitations and possibly the the the, you know, the almost predatory nature of the competitive landscape in wireless. But it's been a debt story and it's been a debt fear story. Um, and, and I don't think that that's there. And I think they've lowered their cost of capital, too, and their, their cost of debt, I should say. Uh, they're no longer the largest non-financial issuer out there. Verizon is. So um, for a stock that is wickedly underperformed uh, all others in, in, in COVID, and it's as if that, that, that COVID death knell that hit them in early March is something that somehow you know, wounded the core business, it hasn't. And, and that's why I think this stock really has some room to catch up. Yeah, to that point in terms of performance, I mean, in the past three months is where it's it sort of tried to catch up. It's up 8% or so in the past three months. It's dividend yield, though, Karen. I know you're not a dividend yield investor, but, hey, this ain't bad, 6.6%. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. No, it's really not bad, and it's particularly not bad when you layer that on top of the points that Tim's talking about, 
where at one point there was a concern about this balance sheet, right? And so the dividend was high because people really believed, oh, the likelihood of the dividend being cut is real. And I think that has gone down a lot. So the dividend at this level is really attractive. All right. Coming and the up, P.E. as, yep. you know, market P.E.s come in. Coming up, the rise of the altcoin. Should you put your money in Bitcoin or look elsewhere in the crypto space? We'll be joined by Pantera Capital's Dan Moorhead to break down the best bang for your buck. And later, is this the new target in the Reddit rebellion? We'll break down why mobile gaming company Skills is lighting up our screens. And as we head to break, a message from Mark Cuban as CNBC celebrates Financial Literacy Month. The best financial advice I ever got, number one, don't use credit cards. Number two, spend less than you make. Number three, invest in understanding finance. If you don't understand finance, it's awful hard to know what you're doing. Good luck, everybody. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get another check on Intel shares, taking another like lower. This is close to after-hour session lows at this point, down by 3.2%. Josh Lipton's been listening in on that conference call. Josh. So CEO Pat Gelsinger, Melissa, is on the call. He says PCs are seeing a resurgence. 2021 is shaping up to be the largest, he says, PC market ever. We see no signs of PC demand slowing. But he also did talk about this historic chip shortage we are seeing and its impact. Take a listen to what he told analysts. The unprecedented demand for semiconductors has stressed supply chains across the industry. We've doubled our internal wafer capacity in the last few years. But the industry is now challenged by a shortage of foundry capacity, substrates, and components. We expect it will take a couple of years for the ecosystem to make the significant investments to address these shortages. So Gelsinger suggesting here this chip shortage could uh, last a while here. Other Intel executives on the call did talk about that DCG business, so chips for the data center, those higher margin server chips that investors are focused on. That did miss the street's expectations. In part, Intel executives are saying um, cloud inventory digestion is to blame. So in other words, cloud customers are pausing orders as they now work through their inventory. Of course, investors have also been focused, we know, on increasing competition for, for Intel from other chip rivals. Bottom line, looking ahead for Q2, Intel executives are saying they expect very strong demand on PCs, though there will be fulfillment challenges there, they say. As for DCG revenue, they think that bottom in Q1 and will increase as cloud digestion subsides. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton. Um, so that was an interesting comment on data center group revenues, uh, Guy, bottoming in the first quarter and getting better as the year progresses. Um, what are your quick thoughts on this? That's the hope. I mean, we've seen that before, by the way. We saw, I think, three quarters ago where data center was a disaster, mm -hmm. and it did rebound in the next quarter, and the stock moved in kind. Listen, I'll give them this pass. Again, I think it's about the full-year guide. I think at this valuation, it's worth believing in the vision of Mr. Gelsinger, and I think it's $16.5, wherever it is. This is, good. this is a pretty decent place to start building a position. All right. And a reminder here, Pat Gelsinger, the CEO of Intel, is coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money, so you will want to watch that. From chips to crypto, check out Bitcoin getting hit hard again today, down about 4%. It's now down about 16% from last week's record high. And check this out. Since last January, Bitcoin's market share of the crypto space has dropped from 69% to just 54%. So is it the best digital coin to park your money in? For more on that, let's bring in Pantera Capital CEO Dan Moorhead. Dan, good to see you. Great seeing you again. 
you actually are predicting that Bitcoin's market share um, as a total of the total coin market share will be less than 40 percent by the year's end. But you're still a Bitcoin bull, right? Very much so. And that's kind of one of the examples of why it's such a great asset class that Bitcoin's up 700 percent since January of last year and it's losing market share. That's a great asset class. Yeah, and, and you had an interesting chart, and that was the market share uh, of the coin market, the crypto coin market, ex-Bitcoin and ex-Ethereum actually went to 34% from 16% in just three months. So we're seeing all these other coins sort of charge ahead while Bitcoin is, is having this little bit of a stumble. So what's your take on that in terms of why investors are going to some of these other coins? Is it a, a search for, for alpha, the alpha that Bitcoin used to deliver? Well, it's kind of like uh, Bitcoin is not all of blockchain the same way that the Internet is all, all not is not all just one company. And so as investors get interested in Ethereum, Polkadot and some of these decentralized finance tokens, it's allowing people to invest in more things. They're all going up and uh, some of the newer tokens are going up more than the mega caps, Bitcoin and Ethereum. You deal with institutional investors, Dan, so I'm, I'm curious when you think there's going to be a day when, you know, a Guggenheim or, or whoever announces they're not just going to be allowed to invest in Bitcoin, but also in some of these other coins, which you're saying have a lot of promise. Yeah, so institutions are already investing across the spectrum. We have investors in funds that have 30 or 40 different coins in our portfolios. So you're seeing it, it's, and it's not like a light switch where, you know, one day every institution is going to be invested. It's more of a process over a couple of years. Yeah. What's your um, top pick in terms of these non-Bitcoin, non-Ethereum coins? Our largest position is Polkadot, which is similar to Ethereum um, with more scalability and interoperability. So that would be my pick. All right. Polkadot. I think a lot of us are going to have to look that one up. Dan, mm-hmm. always great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Dan Moorhead of Pantera Capital. Um, Tim, what's your interpretation of, of Bitcoin losing market share, but still being potentially a great asset to invest in, if you believe the projections? Well, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you should be we should all be listening to, to Dan Moorhead because he's been on our show uh, three or four times over the last three or four years uh, talking consistently about the asset class. And he was three or four years or maybe more ahead of that. And so, you know, the discussion about the the overall market share relative to the group and, you know, the natural understanding of the, you know, what's going on with the asset class. Um, but again, understanding the differences between the platforms and, and the tokens themselves. Um, I, I, look, I, it, there's no question that we see institutional adoption. Um, there's no question that regulators need to uh, address and have been very thoughtful about this. And if you listen to most po- folks inside the industry, uh, they're comfortable with the regulators uh, at this point on this. So, uh, you know, the institutional adoption, um, it's really just about understanding the use case uh, and, you know, come at me. But I mean, Doge versus reality. Um, I think that's really the difference here. And I think, you know, obviously sophisticated players like Dan know that. Yeah. And as I as I understand it, Polkadot helps independent blockchains communicate with each other. And so if you're a believer in blockchains, in, in decentralized finance, having to communicate with each other, which in theory they would have to do, um, then Polkadot helps that happen. Uh, Karen, you have been a dabbler in Bitcoin. Are you dabbling in altcoins? Yes. Well, I have Cosmos, which are called Atoms, which is a similar product to Polkadot, what, or similar uh, use to Polkadot and trades a fair bit cheaper. It was interesting to me, though, how to see 
Bitcoin sell off? Because if you think about just the knee-jerk reaction of selling things that have big gains, Bitcoin certainly fits into that category of, you know, you could have holders that have enormous gains. Yeah that would need to sell if they really believe there was a tax change coming. Yeah, 58% would be a pretty uh, hard bite to take. All right, coming up, are the Redditors at it again? Options traders are seeing some big moves in this name. We're breaking down the action after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Reddit revolution giving a jolt to names like GameStop and AMC this year. But according to options traders, there could be a hot new name on their target list. Let's get to Bonwin with all the details. What are you seeing, Bonwin? Skills. This one certainly has all the makings of a Reddit trade with volumes 5x what we typically see, particularly over the last two days. And then looking down at the options, calls outpaced puts two to one. Uh, and most of those options were tomorrow, April 23rd, x free. So super speculative in nature. The options are implying about an 8% move between now and then. And the trade that really jumped off the tape to me, about 15,000 of the April 23rd, 20 calls traded for an average price of 20 cents in a range of 5 to 80. So this is going to be a short-term trading position. Expect there to be a lot of action on the open tomorrow based on the stock move. The short interest is kind of high too, Guy, which uh, Reddit traders like it's 16 percent according to facts yeah yeah yeah, and if you look at the stock, Karen pointed this out on the call today. I mean, this did a round turn from Thanksgiving, where it was a $17 stock, up to 43 back to 17 Today, the stock traded. Bonowin spoke about the call volume. Today, it traded just in shares nine times normal volume. Um, I think the risk-reward sets up okay here. I mean, this is the deep end of the pool. I think Jeffrey's initiated with a hold in a $17 price target. But, I mean, this is what people have been living for, names like that. So risk-reward, I think, sets up pretty well, given what we saw today. I mean, it was a run from basically where, you know, levels where we were now to a high of 43. Now, I mean, this the stock is like a roller coaster, Karen. <laughs> yeah, I sort of feel like it's like invasion of the body snatchers, right? The value of this business, could it have changed up 300 percent, down, you know, two thirds of that? Highly unlikely. <laughs> so clearly there's something else going on here. So and then when you roll into that, you know, Bonwin's pointing out what's happening for options. For tomorrow, right? There's lit, what, what, you know, 22 hours left to go. I'm afraid of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, for more options action, be sure to catch the full show. That's Friday tomorrow, 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, you got your final trades. Time for the final trades. Go around the horn, Tim. Marco likes energy. I like energy. EOG is a best of breed name that's pulled back. Take a shot. Karen. Yeah, I like AT&T. We talked about it earlier. It's cheap to itself. It's cheap to the market. And they put out good data on the HBO and uh, subscribers today. Bonowin. Whether it be tax headlines, COVID, or, or, or poor earnings, I think VIX gives you an opportunity to add some protection to your portfolio here. All right, Guy. If you like tea, you got to like TMUS. There's the growth. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM. 
a leading global asset manager.